If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 11. I'll be reading just one verse, verse 28, Matthew, chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles with you this morning, that's okay. Uh, It's up on the screen as well. Uh, If you have it on your cell phones, click to Matthew, chapter 11. And I'll be reading verse 28. Um, Let's just take a moment, though, before we read this verse. Just uh, take a deep breath. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Lord, we just thank you for the rest that we have in Christ Jesus. Jesus, you paid it all. You paid it all so that we might live in you. So that we may be in you and you in us. And there is rest in that. Lord, I ask that you would come and speak to us this morning. Would you awaken in us once again the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? that is available to each and every person every day for the rest of our lives. It is good news. And so we pray. Come. Give us rest. Amen. I've shared my story a number of times here at Trinity, so I'm sure many of you know my past. Um, I've, yeah, shared it number of number of times, and so in general, you know that uh, I do not come from a, a Christian background. I have quite a quite a past in uh, some bad stuff, and God rescued me. He totally delivered me, set me free, and here I am. Um, I get, I'm, I'm gonna, I sense that from now on I'll be sharing with you just little different angles of that story uh, of how God led me uh, to himself. And so uh, here's a story that I'm going to share with you this morning. Uh, growing up, I, I did go to church. My parents uh, were church attenders. Um, and I remember in high school at this church that we were going to, it's a Korean church, very large congregation uh, at the time, about maybe 500 uh, members. And so there was uh, multiple services on a Sunday. There was a Korean service and there was an English service. And so I was a part of the English uh, ministry. And there was this new pastor that came while I was in high school. His name was Pastor Wan Lee. And a very humble man, very godly man. And he was a phenomenal preacher. And uh, it, it was to the point where I actually didn't fall asleep in church. Uh, he, he, that's a pretty good feat. I actually did not sleep during his sermons. Um, I don't remember what he said, but, uh, you know, I didn't sleep. So anyway, he was a great guy. Well, one day, 
I was uh, in the fellowship hall, kind of like what we do after the service. We have coffee and we hang out. I was in the fellowship hall with a bunch of my friends, and uh, we were talking about some of the, the stuff that we were doing, um, getting into all sorts of illegal things, talking about it in church, you know, of all places. And, uh, well, just to let you know, my vocabulary was uh, quite... Uh, Colorful, very good word, very colorful, okay? I used vulgar words to salt my, you know, whatever I was saying. And so I was talking like this in church, loud, you know, dropping this and that. And, you know, I had no idea, no clue that it would be offensive. I didn't really think, you know, of it. And Pastor Juan came up to me and he's like, hey, hey, James. Watch your language. Watch your language. Don't talk like that in church. And I thought, whoa. And, you know, quite honestly, I was offended. You know, I thought, you know, who are you to, you know? I actually thought like that. Uh, And that was my first recollection of having a conversation with Pastor Juan, him rebuking me for swearing in church. Well, uh, a couple years go by, I went to university and uh, I got into some trouble uh, in my second year of university got into legal trouble, and I was uh, uh, basically having to go to court because I was about to uh, face some jail time, and I wasn't good, and I needed to, anyway, go to court, and uh, this pastor, Pastor Juan, would drive up from Toronto to Kitchener uh, to be a character witness for me, you know, just to say, oh, he's, he's, he's a good kid, he's you know, stuff like that. He went to church. He actually came up uh, to, to do that for me. And, uh, you know, I, I really believe that uh, it, it helped because I, I didn't go to jail. Uh, instead, uh, you know, I just got a conditional discharge and had to do some community service. And I was on probation for a while, but I didn't go to jail. So that was, that was great. And that was my last, again, that was the last memory I had of Pastor Juan. So the first memory was me swearing and him rebuking me. The last memory was him coming to court. <laughs> so he doesn't have that great of a picture of, of me. Okay. Fast forward 12 years. This was last year. He finds me on Facebook and under my occupation is pastor of Trinity EMC. And he thought, what? <laughs> and he had actually moved out to Seattle and thought, what is, with it? what is going on? And so he was like, what happened, James? Listen, I'm going to be in London, Ontario um, very soon. Let's meet up. I have to hear your story. And I thought, oh, that's great. And so he flew from Seattle to London, Ontario to preach at a conference. And um, that was in February of this year. And he came to see me. So we met in Cambridge, had a coffee, you know, short time, but uh, still, it was a good time. And here he was sitting with the guy that swore and was about to go to jail <laughs> as a pastor of a church. And they, ah, oh man, he must have been thinking, man, they just let anyone be a pastor at a church. <laughs> My goodness, what church is that? Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> But uh, he, he, was, he was just so astonished, you know, and uh, I just shared with him my story. You know, God just totally, totally uh, rescued me, and he, he set me free. And, um, 
I, and, I, and I thanked him because I knew he was praying for me. I was like, Pastor Juan, I, I just know you were praying for me. I just want to thank you. And, and you know what he said to me? He said, you know, James, I was praying and uh, I just had this sense that if the Lord got a hold of your life, that he would use you. And uh, I just thought, wow, that's awesome. Uh, and, and sure enough, God has placed me here. And it's, uh, it's an honor to live for his glory. And so as we were discussing, you know, I was asking him some questions. He's been a pastor for many years. And uh, I asked him, you know, Pastor Juan, how do you uh, balance uh, ministry and family? How do you do that? Because uh, that's a, a typical struggle of a pastor. It's, it's, um, it, it's, a, it's a struggle. It can be a struggle. Um, it's not too bad for me. But I just asked him, you know, how did you manage uh, that? And Pastor Juan showed me this diagram And he didn't really answer my question. He went into the heart of the matter. And he showed me this diagram. And that's the diagram that I want to uh, show you this morning. It is a diagram that is absolutely changing my life. Radically transforming my mind. Though I still struggle to to get a hold of this uh, revelation, it is setting me free. And so... Here is the diagram. It's a picture of a circle uh, divided into four sections. And this is the diagram that Pastor Juan showed me. And uh, in the first section, which is the top left section, is the letter A. Okay? The letter A. The uh, next section, the bottom left section, is the letter S. The bottom right section is the letter I. And the top left section is the letter A. Asia. Yes, Asians, baby. Anyway. I was going over my sermon the other day and I thought, hey, it says Asia. Cool, man. That's so cool. Anyway. A-S-I-A. Now, let's go back to the uh, top left corner. The top left A stands for achievement. Achievement. And basically this diagram is, is to show us how our minds work, how we process our identity, our worth, and so on. And so the first section is the word achievement. Now, when our kids were learning to use the potty, this is a, whew, one of the most difficult transitions in life, okay? Is going from diaper to potty. This is, I don't remember what that was like. But man, it's difficult. Some of you parents may understand. Dude, not easy, right? It's not. Now, Allie and I had to be very careful on how we transitioned our children from diaper to potty. If they didn't have a diaper on when we were trying to train them, you know, and they would accidentally pee or poo, you know, by accident, we'd have to be careful not to get, you know, upset, which is something that I, I failed at sometimes, you know, because if one of our kids, you know, dropped a deuce, I'd be like, oh, and, and Ali would look at me with these crazy eyes, hey, hey, this, this look, hey, hey, and I'd be like, oh, you know, careful, James, careful, take it easy, okay, but then when they do use the potty, right, when they actually sit, they use the potty, it's like, Good for you! All right, you did it! Yay! 
right? We cheered them on and told them it was great. And I'm sure the way they felt in that moment was, I am significant in this moment. This is so, such a significant moment. Now, I don't remember what it was like for me, but I, I, I do believe that's probably how my kids feel, especially, good for you, significance. And so that's the next uh, word on the bottom left corner. The S stands for significance. When we achieve something, it feels significant. It feels significant. We feel significant. I can recall back in my martial arts days, I was, you know, said this many times as well. I'm a black belt taekwondo. I've gone to many tournaments. Now, the very first tournament that I ever went to, um, I was in a, in a sparring uh, tournament, and um, I won. It was my very first tournament. I came in first place, and I can remember my dad. He was so proud of me. Good. Yes, James, you did it. And I was like, oh, I felt so significant in that moment. And especially when I was standing up at the front to receive my trophy. I received this trophy. It was like this big, okay? At the time, as a kid, it was like huge. It was like almost the same size as me. I thought, whoa, I felt so significant in that moment. My dad was so proud of me. I felt like I was the center of the universe. All eyes were on me. Now, recently, Ali made me get rid of that trophy, which... Like literally like a month ago, which is like, anyways. But uh, it was sad, but I did. But let me tell you, I felt like I was the karate kid. I really did. Like, I mean, for real. I thought I was like, uh, I forget the guy's name. Daniel's son. I actually felt, I, I was Daniel's son, okay? I was him. That was me. I was the best. And in that moment, I, I not only achieved something great, I not only felt significant, I believed I was Mr. Taekwondo. It was who I was. I became someone. You see, when you achieve something and feel a sense of significance because of it, it can become your source of identity. And that's the bottom right corner is the word identity. What you achieve brings a sense of significance which can form your identity. Now, although this can be very natural and normal, this process gives birth to what I call the performance-driven mind. The performance-driven mind. The performance-driven mind equates what we do with who we are. It equates what we do with who we are. In other words, our identity, our value is directly equated with our performance. Our achievements, our accomplishments are seen not as things we do or don't do, but who we are and who we aren't. For instance, the job that we have isn't just something we do to earn a living. It dictates our worth, our value, our identity. The university that we went to or the college that we went to. It isn't just a place for further education. It dictates our value. 
The clothes we wear, the car we drive, the house we live in, the neighborhood our house is in. Those aren't just sustenance. It dictates our worth, our value, our identity. And that is really the essence of the performance-driven mind. So, this is what happens. If you fail to achieve, if you fail to achieve, the performance-driven mind can negatively affect your sense of identity. Now, that first time I won that tournament in Taekwondo, I felt so great. I was Mr. Taekwondo. The second tournament I went to, I knew in my mind, I am Mr. Taekwondo. Equals, I will win again because I am Mr. Taekwondo. Well, guess what? That didn't happen. In fact, it didn't happen ever again. Okay? It it did not happen again. I failed. I lost. And let me tell you something. It killed me inside. It killed me that I lost. It actually felt like a part of me died. I failed to achieve first place. I failed to achieve that top position. I failed. Because of this, I felt so insignificant. So insignificant. And that insignificance formed in me the sense of identity that is, I am a failure. I am a loser. And ultimately, I felt like I was not accepted by my father. Now, of course, my father loves me. I know. I know my father loves me. But in that moment, when I did not come in first place, there was no that. And so I did not sense that acceptance. I was not accepted. That's the top corner, the word accepted. What I didn't realize that was that my mind was beginning to get programmed. I was programmed to think that if I achieve things, I will become significant. That significance will forge my identity. And through that identity, I will be accepted by others, by myself, and ultimately by God. It is a cycle, albeit a dangerous one. And it goes... From achievement, significance, identity, acceptance. And it goes like this. In the Christian world, this would be called justification by works. It measures worth with performance. Now the problem with this is that no matter how hard I try, I actually will never measure up. I'll never It's almost like it's just out of reach all the time. Like that cup on the top shelf. I just can't get it. It's just out of reach. That feeling of acceptance, that identity that I have, if I just perform this, it's actually never within reach. I will never measure up. I can't reach it. And so my value, my worth, my identity will always fall short. And falling short all the time, meanwhile trying hard to not fall short, doing everything in my own strength to not look so bad, to not be a failure, 
to be called a great pastor, to be looked at as a good father. Trying to achieve this is exhausting. It's so, so exhausting. Absolute exhaustion. I believe there's many people, especially in the body of Christ, who are just exhausted all the time. There's a pastor by the name of Tullian Chevigian. Uh, he's an author and a pastor, pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Uh, he's written uh, a few books. Uh, one of them is called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And uh, just, a, just a, basically the gospel. Um, and, and it's been just really blessing me. I'm not an avid reader, but this is a book that I'm actually reading. And um, uh, Tellian says this, Trying to save ourselves, sorry, we are not exhausted simply because life is hard, but because we are trying to save ourselves. It's like a hamster in a stationary wheel. It's hard work. <laughs> Running, <laughs> trying to be accepted by others and by God. And it's a stationary wheel, but it goes nowhere. It just exhausts you, tires you out. You go nowhere, right? That's what the performance-driven mind makes us do. Now, the cure for the performance-driven mind isn't to do nothing, okay? It's not that we just do nothing. Ousting the performance-driven mind isn't the absence of performance. It's the transfer of performance. The transfer. Now, my son, as hard as he tries, he can't put on his shoes, he just can't do it. And let me tell you something. My kids, when they have to get to school by 9.15 and it's 9.05, and it's like, I got to drive them to school and Ezra's can't putting on his shoes. It's like, dude, you got to put on your shoes. Why can't you put on your shoes? It's Velcro. Come on. <laughs> okay. But he just can't. It just, he can't. And so I do it for him. I put on his shoes for him. Because I'm his father. I'll do it for him. And he can rest in knowing that I am there for him to put on his shoes. That is what God has done for each and every one of us here. God came down. He came in the person of Jesus Christ to do what we could never do. Jesus did it all. He lived the righteous life so that through his substitutionary work, I can finally be accepted by God. He did it. You see, that is the deepest desire of every human, really. Really, that is the deepest desire. Although many don't know it, our soul craves God. Every human being. But we fall short. 
And our lives are about trying to make up what is lost. But we can't. We can't. God knew that. And he did something about it. He paid it all so that we can rest in his finished work. Christ's substitution is my absolute resolution for the performance-driven mind. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. God did it. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all, all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It is finished. Jesus nailed it. He's really the only one that could say, nailed it. You know, a lot of people, we say that. When we achieve something significant. Dude, (laughs) nailed it, right? You see that? Nailed it. The way I played the guitar this morning? Nailed it. Listen. Jesus. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I get carried away sometimes. Jesus nailed it. He did. He achieved everything. Everything. Our having to perform for our sense of significance, which forges our identity, which makes us feel accepted, it has been totally ousted. It is ousted by the fact that Jesus did everything. And church, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. Okay? The gospel isn't just something that is preached to save sinners. The gospel is a reality that must be enforced daily through faith for the believer. The gospel isn't just something that is preached to save sinners. The gospel is a reality that must be enforced daily through faith for the believer. We can Never, never outgrow our need for the gospel, okay? It isn't something, oh, that was done that many years ago and not today. No way. The gospel is relevant every single day for the rest of our lives. It must be received, implemented, Believed by faith for us in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel, the good news. Jesus paid it all. God reversed the curse of sin and death through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Therefore, we no longer need to be under the weight 
of the performance-driven mind. Next slide. The curse has been reversed. It goes the other way now. Okay? It goes the other way because of what Jesus has done. It's reversed. In Christ Jesus, I am accepted by God. I am accepted by God in Christ Jesus, not because of what I did or what I can ever do, because of what Jesus has done. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. In Christ Jesus, I am accepted by God. We need to realize that it's not based on what we did or what we do. You see, apart from God, we're helpless. Psalm 16 verse 2 says, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Apart from what God can do, we can't do anything. How marvelous is it? How wonderful is it that my Savior, Jesus Christ, would come and live the righteous requirements of the law and die for me? It's stunning, the grace of our God. Stunning, absolutely stunning. Jesus Christ is the price and simultaneously the prize of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the price and the prize of the gospel. God paid the price of his son so that we can have the prize of God in our lives. We can now rest in his finished work. That is amazing grace. Who I am is based on what God has done. My identity is in Christ. I am a child of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. (laughs) How amazing. How amazing is that? I'm a child of God. That's who I am. That's my identity. Because I am a child of the Most High God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the universe, everything in it, God oversees everything. This God, I'm his child. That's my identity. Because I am a child of God, that makes me and every one of us in Christ incredibly significant. Incredibly significant. Okay? Again, not based on what we do or don't do, based on what he did, forges my identity. I am now incredibly significant for God, to God. And because of my significance, which is found in him, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. My achievements, my accomplishments, the things that I do are done in his strength, in his power, in his wisdom, in his guidance. I can do all things through Christ 
who gives me strength. Church, it is absolutely exhausting to try and win our own sense of achievement, significance, identity, and acceptance. It's like a hamster wheel. Just picture being on a hamster wheel. Okay? It's exhausting. Jesus came to flip it around. And that is why he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for coming down and walking among us to live the life that we are required to live for us and then dying on the cross for our sin so that in you we can experience maximum joy and freedom that we could ever possibly experience in this life apart from you. In you, we have all those things. We thank you. Lord, I pray you would help us daily preach the gospel to ourselves. That it's not about what we do, what we can ever do to try and win our acceptance. It's not possible. You paid it all. And we are already accepted in what you have done. And it is now in faith. Faith in you. As we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we can have rest. Renew our minds, Lord. Transform them. That we would operate out of rest and now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you now and forevermore Amen Amen. God bless you. Put that diagram in your Bible. It's changing me still. Bless you. Have a wonderful weekend.